Welcome to Recovery Unplugged. And and I have a I have a question for you. Who are you? Who are you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in this edition of Recovery Unplugged. What this little podcast is all about, it's part of a ministry of America's Keswick. It it helps to better direct you and the ones you love to navigate this recovery process that you're in the middle of. After all, there are a lot of different teachings out there, all claiming to have the answer. Well, we know that the answer is Jesus. But how you get there, well, well, that's what this podcast is really all about. As you look down here, you can, you can see my name. It's Paul Ciotta. And my role here at America's Keswick is as a chaplain at the Colony of Mercy. But I have a lot of other titles and roles that, that I play, and, and, and some I received before I came to Keswick. I was known here before as a vacationer and as a donor and as a, a pastor delegate to graduates from the colony. Before that, I had other roles. I am a father. I'm a widower, but I'm dating again. I'm also a son, a brother. I'm a grandfather. I'm also a college graduate. I'm a seminary graduate. I'm an ordained minister. But all those things is not who I really am. My identity is who or what I identify with. The psychological definition of identity comes down to the values that we hold and what dictate those values is the choices that we make. And identity often contains multiple roles and and things that I or you could identify with. Each role holds meaning and expectations that are actually internalized into one's identity. Psychologists might say that identity actually continues to evolve over the course of an individual's life. Well, that might be something to think about, but let's consider this. Who are you? in the eyes of God, it might be a little bit different. First, consider how you see yourself. Your image has a lot to do with your identity. When I worked in the corporate world, there was a saying that that you should dress for your next job. So if you were, for example, a middle manager and, and you were working in an office, you might wear something like this every day to work. But if you wanted to be in the C-suite and aspire to be a vice president or even the president of the company, you might dress a little bit differently. You might start heading and buying some of those expensive suits looking really sharp. Now, now that, that becomes your image, which then becomes your identity which then you hope that the hiring manager will will see that you have the look and and that you have the smarts at some point because you look like you're smart and that might translate into that vice president's job. Not sure if that works, but we like to think that way, don't we? I mean, we continue to try to control our identity for our own purposes, don't we? Well, 
there are a lot of other ways that we identify with certain institutions, like, like the high school or the college that we went to. For example, your identity might be that you went to Yale or to, to Harvard or, or to Princeton. That might carry a little more weight, at least in your own mind, or maybe people who see you or hear from you that you're a Princeton man or you're a Harvard man or a Harvard woman would carry a little more weight in some social circles than maybe a community college degree. That also becomes part of your identity. For the record, by the way, you can still get a great education at some of those smaller, less prestigious schools. Well, how about sports? Well, it's no secret to those who know me that I'm actually a New York Yankees fan. I love baseball. I love the New York Yankees. And at times, I allow them, through my headwear, to be part of my identity. Especially when they play the Mets, or specifically when they play Boston. Whew. Let's get real for just a minute, okay? Chances are, if you're watching this, you might have experienced addiction, or watching someone in your life go through some sort of addiction. Maybe it was a chemical addiction, like drugs or alcohol. Or may have been something else, a little more acceptable form of addiction. Maybe it was a search for comfort or control or pleasure or escape. Maybe, maybe it was six days a week of golf. Eight hours a day in the gym. Netflix every night with a glass of wine. Maybe, maybe working a hundred hours a week. Any form of self-pleasure, any form of control, any form of a place we can get some comfort, anything like that can actually be the all-consuming thing that keeps your focus away from where it needs to be. But because it's all-consuming and so overwhelming, it now becomes part of our identity. For example, somebody who works all those hours becomes either a workaholic or he's considered to be a very valuable employee, necessary for the operation of a company or a ministry even. It becomes part of our life because it becomes part of our identity. It becomes part of our image. It's how people begin to know us. It's what people see in us, and we begin to see in ourselves. Now, there are some secular programs that are out there that your addiction becomes your identity. For example, you may go to a meeting, you get your little cup of coffee, you sit down, and then at the proper time, you stand up, you give them your name, and you identify yourself as an alcoholic or a drug user. I have a question. Is that how you really want to be identified? For sure? Are you sure that's the way you want to be known? Is that the way you want people or even God to see you? I would think that if you do, your addiction continues to be integrated into your life. It becomes integrated and entwined with your soul, with your body, and even in your spirit. You think of yourself as an addict, 
because that's what you're calling yourself. But I got news for you. That's not what God calls you. He calls you something completely different. And as far as he's concerned, that's not your identity. Check this out. Let's go back to Genesis. Because when he created man, he created him in his image. Do you hear that? We were created in his image. Consider Genesis 1.27. So God created man is in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, you just think about that for a minute. In light of we viewing ourselves just like that, we may look at ourselves and think, wow, we're an addict. I can't handle something like this. I am who I choose to be. It's not what God says. If you're in a program or an organization or, or even what other people are instructing you and reinforcing in you that you're supposed to be an addict because this is what you've done, it's not. It's not what God tells you that you are. If you're being told that you're not worthy or, or you're not smart or you're not good enough, you just think about what God says about you. You were created in His image. Not in the image what other people see you as, but rather his image. He made that choice because he had a lot of other elements of creation that don't carry his image. He didn't have to. He wanted to. And that in itself is a powerful truth. You're probably looking at the screen right now and you're saying, chap, you don't understand. See, I'm an addict. I know I'm an addict. And that's it. Really? Do you really believe that? See, God knew you before you were even conceived. God told Jeremiah that he had big plans for him, and God has big plans for you. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That was Jeremiah. Now, did God appoint you to be an addict? Were you an addict before you were in the womb? <laughs> did he create you to carry that title of an addict even if you have struggled with addictive behavior before? No, he didn't. That's not your identity. But let's back up a second. I understand. I mean, addiction can be so overwhelming and so all-consuming that we begin to think that that's our identity. That's what identifies us. If we are so involved in this addiction, we get it gets to the point that it becomes so overwhelming and so consuming that it actually becomes part of us. And that's what we project and internalize. We have to remember, despite the people, despite the programs, despite the small groups, despite the large group, despite families, or what the world is telling us, that behavior does not dictate who we are.
It can't. Let's remember, your addiction, no matter what it is, is just a season. Just a season. It's not who you are. It, it, it can't be and shouldn't be part of your identity. It cannot be your identity. God didn't create you to be an addict. So, to identify as an addict is your choice, not God's. Let me say that again. It's your choice. And it's not a good one. You're creating your own image, your, your own identity. Maybe you're hiding behind that identity to protect yourself and, and to allow yourself an out just in case you might, you might slip up or make a poor choice or maybe you're believing that you can't move away from that identity because it's become so much a part of your life that, that you choose to stay there because it's comfortable. You may not like your addiction. You may not like abusing yourself and, and you may not like the way that it's affecting other people. But you don't have the desire to move away from that. Yet. So you live in that identity. Throughout my adult life, I identified with my job. What I did. <laughs> Even now, it's kind of what I do. People look at me and they say, you're a chaplain. That's kind of my identity to other people. So when somebody asks me to tell them about myself, I, I will often say that I'm a chaplain at the County University of America's Keswick, which oftentimes spurs other conversation. But what I do is not who I am. Consider the story in the Bible in, in Luke 18 and Matthew 10. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Now, here's a guy that theologians believe was a ruler of the temple, a position of authority, of prestige, of, of status. He, he has this encounter with Jesus, as we all will or did. The young man wanted to know how he could achieve eternal life. The scriptures tell us that he knew the law. In fact, he knew it very well, and, and he was taught the truth. And he tells Jesus that he actually followed it quite well. Luke 18, 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. So everything you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Luke says at that point, the young man was very sad because he was very wealthy. But, but, think about, but think about this. What Jesus was actually saying that the only way to heaven was to follow him. And he needed to follow him without any distractions. And that includes his identity. Things like, like wealth and title and, and status and, and responsibilities. See, out identity 
can no longer be so self-absorbed or self-centered or selfishly crafting our image. What we need to do is release everything, and I mean everything, to the Lord. And that includes who we think we are or we want others to see us as, our image, our identity of who we think we actually are. Because now things change. Once we empty ourselves, we're doing exactly the same thing as Jesus did, so that he, with his identity as God, humbled himself to become one of the creation. And then he could achieve his ultimate mission, was to die on a cross for the sins of mankind, including mine. For us to follow Jesus, we need to do the same thing, to empty ourselves completely. We need to remember that when we accept Christ as Savior, when we embrace Him as the one and only way to heaven, we become new creations. We become something completely different than what we were. Our justification, our decision to follow Christ and embrace Him as Savior in itself should point to a new life, to a renewed life. It doesn't change our sinful thinking. It doesn't, doesn't change our sinful nature. What it does do, however, is our identity has to change. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So your identity is no longer what you were or what you think you are. Your identity is now in Christ. That should give us great comfort and peace in that truth of our new identity. But if we keep this image and our identity of what we choose to be, we kind of box out the power of Jesus. We deny ourselves the, the joy of actually knowing him intimately because there's still something inside of us that's blocking that. It's about us at that point. It's about our identity. It's how we see ourselves not looking at Jesus. We still have the temptation if we are identifying as us to, to follow us, our human flesh, our, our, our sin nature. Our identity needs to be in Christ. If we don't let the Holy Spirit infuse us with who He really is, we kind of miss the boat. Because then if our ego takes over, Something has to give. J.D. Rahir, who's the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention and a pastor in North Carolina, actually speaks very clearly about this when he uses the words, if you're full of yourself, you can't be full of the Holy Spirit. So, let me ask the question that I posed a little earlier. Who are you? Who are you? 
If you can't answer that you're a follower of Jesus Christ right off the top, then you need to take a hard look again at that question. Look in the mirror and tell yourself what you see. Then ask God to change your focus so that you can see Him. If you need a better understanding of what your identity in Christ actually is, please reach out, connect with us, call us. We're here for you. Thank you for watching.